Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today we have with us Eric Everhart. He joined the army in 1990, served 15 years, and he was stationed in South Korea, Somalia, Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Iraq. He's jumped out of, jumped out of airplanes, jumped out of helicopters, um, seen combat, and been that drill instructor that nobody liked to see. He's been everything in the army, and today he's going to talk about his relationship with the creator of the universe. Give him a great God bless you. Welcome, Eric Everhart. Well, thanks. Before we get started, um, let's just say I don't know you and you don't know me. So I want to do that for just a few seconds, but uh, first I just want to thank God so much um, for ordaining this time and this moment, this place for me to be able to speak and to share my heart with you um, as a congregation, as brothers and as sisters. Um, secondly, the devil has no authority here. He has no authority. He has no say. And if you see him, let security know and they'll escort him out the back door. Okay. Um, second of all, to my brothers and my sisters in arms, uh, both present, past, and future, my heart, my love, my respect to each and every one of you, regardless of what branch you are, except the Navy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> love to every one of you um, and much respect. Um, and as we are going to 11-11 um, this week, um, just be reminded of the 22, and if you don't know what that is, it's the 22 service members, veterans, that commit suicide every single day in the United States of America. Please keep those in your heart and your minds, and keep it in those that did not get to come home. I know we have a special day called Memorial Day for that, but please, as we go into 11-11, remember those that didn't get to come home. Um, I'm truly blessed to be able to stand here in front of you, and I don't take that lightly, and I don't take that for granted. Lastly, I just, um, if you are a military spouse, or if you're a child, a, a son or a daughter of a military veteran or a person serving activity right now, stand up, please. I think sometimes we forget these, uh, these individuals. That's right, you guys deserve a big round of applause. So many times uh, the vets get uh, recognized and so often we forget the family members that are left home taking care of things at the house, the kids that don't see mom and dad for a year at a time, um, the wives that sit at home worried about um, the combat situation and who and who may not come home. So my hat's off to all the spouses and military wives and, and husbands and uh, to all the kids out there um, as well. So as we get started, I just want to get really real for you a second. I'm not some polished speaker. You can't Google my name and find out I've been here, there, or anywhere else. So I'm not this polished speaker that they've brought in from anywhere. I'm an ordinary, everyday, average husband and father of four beautiful girls, um, married for 27 years. Um, she has been through all of the stuff that um, I've put her through, and she stood by my side. And uh, I'm just an every average, average guy. I got up this morning. My kids didn't want to wear what I wanted them to wear. Um, the kids were laid out the pants and, and they didn't want to wear anything. They didn't listen. There's milk all over the place. We're trying to get cereal. Everything's in chaos. I'm sure none of you have to deal with any of that. Um, but, you know, I had to get up this morning. My aches and my pains in my back. I got to get my meds before I get going. I mean, all those things. I'm just an ordinary guy. 
And I do want to share with you, if you're here to, it's Veterans Day and you came to hear some cool story, some war story, this would be about the best time for you to go ahead and exit out the back doors because you'll be disappointed. Because I'm not going to share anything about cool stories or anything else, but I do want to share my testimony of how God has transformed my life and where I was and where I'm at today. And I pray in some transparent way that God could use my words and speak through me to speak into your lives as you sit here and listen to me today. Because whether you believe it or not, and whether you think so, just because I'm up here with the mic, I'm actually more nervous standing up here than you are sitting in your seat. So we share something in common already. There's nothing different about me. I'm an every average day guy. There's nothing different. I got to get up. I got to take care of my kids every day. I get them to school. I got to go to work every day. I got to help pay the bills. We got struggles. We still deal with things. I'm still a guy. I'm an every other day guy. So if we could go from there, maybe just with an amen, we could just kind of go from there, kind of knowing each other. Amen. So just want to start there with you. I just want to be real. Um, and I don't want to be above anything. My story is not any bigger than yours. We all, if you've, if you've encountered the living God, then you have a story. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you have a story. I hear so often as a youth pastor, I hear from my kids all the time, but pastor E, I don't, I don't have a story. I don't have anything I can share. If you've encountered the living Christ, you have a story. I don't care what it is, it, no matter how small or how big, so I don't want you to think that my story is any bigger than yours. In fact, mine might just be on a different battlefield than yours, but we all walk that battlefield every single day. And it may not be in the flesh, but it's definitely in the spirit. So keep that in mind as I speak. So with that, so I, um, uh, I grew up, I grew up in a house of five, uh, my mom, my dad, I grew up with a younger brother and a younger sister. And uh, life wasn't easy as a kid. Um, I didn't have it as bad as some people, but life for me wasn't all that great. As the oldest, I had a mom who was out working 24 hours, it seemed like, a day. She worked late at night, never saw much of her. Um, she would come home and sleep during the day trying to help provide for the family. My dad was a 30-year Navy guy. Um, spent most of his latter years with the Navy SEAL teams out of uh, Little Creek Amphib Base in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And... Uh, to be honest with you, he wasn't a very nice guy. He spent more time away than he did at home, and when he was home, nobody wanted him home. And it was a really tough situation. In my house, um, I used to hear things from my dad when he was home, uh, you're no good, you're worthless, you're never gonna amount to anything, I don't know why you even bother trying, everything that you do just seems to get messed up, you're never going to graduate high school. I don't know why you bother trying. And at age 40-some years old, the last thing I heard from my dad, who I do not know where he is today, his last words to me is, I, we never wanted kids anyway. I wish that I never had you. And even as a 40-year-old, at that point, there was something inside of my heart and inside of my soul that just got crushed. I mean, it's literally like my dad had my heart in his hand and he just squeezed it. And even though I tried to be the tough guy, the big guy, I was like, ah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Inside, it killed me. It just destroyed me. I spent most of my high school years taking care of my brother and sister, pretty much raising them. I was doing laundry and taking care of dinner and stuff like that at age 12. There was no problem with that. I was signing school notes that I probably shouldn't have been signing. Um, you name it, I was taking care of my brother and sister, and my job was to do that. My dad was never around for all the things that were important to me. He was never there on the sidelines at a football game. He was never there for my basketball games. He didn't make my prom. He didn't make my high school graduation. And as a kid, as a teenager, 
the affection that you desire from your own father wasn't there. And it took a hold of me in, in a big way. It crushed me. And that was my relationship with my dad. My dad would come in from overseas. He would come in. He would fly in. He would show up for a couple days. He'd be the jerk that he is. And he'd turn around and leave again. That was my relationship with my dad. So we know about relationships. Whether you're married and you've got a spouse, or whether you're a teenager and you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or you've got a BFF or whatever, we understand what relationships are. And when it comes to relationships, relationships can dictate whether they're going bad or, not, or good, they can dictate the way we behave and the way our day goes. I know that if me and my wife are struggling with something, and um, of course I'm right, but if we're struggling with something and things aren't going so well, my day doesn't go so well either. I know her day is not going well. The people that she interacts with, that, that's not going to go well. And it is visually seen all the way through our day. Our relationships can dictate how we live and the things that we do based on how well they're going. Now, my relationship with my dad was not good. It wasn't good. And in fact, I would almost say it's not non-existent. I, I, me and my brother sat down the other, it was about a week ago, and we were trying to think of that one moment in our, in our life where we could remember and say, man, that was a good day with dad. Maybe we were out on the lake having a fish. We were doing fishing. Maybe, maybe we were out shooting hoops together. We just tried to pick that one moment in our life where I could say that was a good day. And we walked away from that. We couldn't think of one. And again, even as a 40-some-year-old, that really just, it just breaks my, I mean, it just tears me up. And to this day, I still long, I still long for the day, because I know it's redeemable through Christ. I long for the day that I can see my dad before he either passes or before I pass, when I can have him stand in front of me and say, son, I love you. I, I long for that. Even today, I still, and I pray for it, and I know that it's possible. I know he can change. I know that it can happen. And I long for it so deeply. I want to hear those words. And I know I'm a big, strong guy or whatever, all that good stuff. But this little emotional kid inside of me wants to hear those words so bad. I want, my, I want to hear from my earthly father. Man, I love you so very much, son. And I'm so proud of you. And, and, I, and I, I, you're, I just want to encourage you. And I want to say you're doing a good job. I want to hear those words. I need to hear those words as a human being. I need to hear those as a teenager. I need to hear those as an adult today. Who in here doesn't? You want to hear those words. You want to hear you're doing a good job. You want to have a pat on the back. You want to know that the people that are around you that are supposed to care about you love you. You need to hear those words. And that was something that was absent in my life. And with that, my relationship with my father started to begin to dictate my behavior and how I was living my life. At 16, I began to drink alcohol. I started to hang out with the wrong crowd of people that got me in trouble and started visiting the police sometimes. I started doing other things that I would have never have done outside of my character. And things were just going in a spiral downhill. And I could tell. And somewhere inside, I was, you know, it's kind of interesting because everything that was going on in my life, I was blaming on my father. Well, if he would have just loved me a little bit more, if he would have just been more encouraging, if he did, listen, folks, it was my decisions, it was my decisions that got me where I was at. It wasn't my father. But inside, the hate and the, the, uh, the pain that I had from my dad caused me and, and drove me to think that he's, he's the problem of everything. It's his fault. 
And so I went into my adulthood that way. I went in with that, that self-centered arrogance. I got this. Everything's going to happen my way. So I'm going to tell you this. So I grew up in the church. My grandfather's the pastor of our Baptist, Southern Baptist church. I went to church every single Sunday. There was no, we were dressed up and uh, we were those Christians. Christians, you know what I'm talking about? We were those Christians. We went to church and then we went to Sunday school and then we went and had lunch and that's the last time we talked about church until Sunday again the following week. You know those Christians, those are the ones I'm talking about. We were that family. Okay? I knew all about God. I went to Sunday school. I knew about Moses and Abraham. I knew about Joseph and his brothers and I knew about all that good stuff. I learned all the stories. I had it. I knew who God was. But I'm here to tell you there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing somebody. Because let me tell you, at age seven, I was baptized. I did a cannonball right into the baptismal font, and it didn't go well. Okay? Because I thought it'd be cool. But I'm telling you here that I went down a wet center and I came back up a wet center. And nothing had changed in my life. There was no transformation. Everything was the same. And I was faced with the same stuff that I had going on with my father at that time. And inside, I was dying. It was killing me. Even as a seven-year-old, I knew. So I knew about God, but I did not know God. I did not have a personal relationship with him. Maybe some of you here tonight, maybe you can say that. Maybe you can say, I come to church. Hey, Pastor Bernie, I come to church every Sunday. I'm here at 1130, and I'm here for worship service. But what you do in here doesn't dictate what's going on outside when you walk out those doors. And I can tell you that with all honesty because I got that problem too. I struggle with it. I get up every morning just like you do, and I have to be on my knees every morning and say, Lord, I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I need you to redeem me every single day, and I need you in my life. And no matter what I do, whether I walk here or there or wherever I go, I need him in my life. Because you know what? Without him, I'm going to make bad decisions. Without him guiding me, I'm going to do the wrong things. So my relationship with my dad was dictating in the roads and the directions and the things I was doing. And they weren't good. And I was using him as an excuse, as a scapegoat to get out of, out of the trouble that I was in because it was dad's fault. I'm a messed up little kid because it's dad's fault. Well, fast forward a little bit. My dad had this grand vision that I was going to be the next Navy SEAL in the family. I was going to join the Navy and do a long career. So I went down and I saw the Army recruiter. And I joined the Army. And believe it or not, I did it just to make him mad. And it worked, it worked, it worked so good. So I went down and I signed up, age 19, boom, off to basic training. I would find myself in my first tour in South Korea. 1993, I'd find myself in Somalia. If anybody's seen Black Hawk Down? 1993, October 3rd, was there. Bosnia, Haiti, Ivory Coast. Found myself in Afghanistan and Iraq another time. I found myself in Panama and Nicaragua. I was all over the place. Okay. What I found about the military was is I found out I was really good at it. Because before, when I was a kid, before I could go out on Saturday or watch Saturday morning cartoons, because there's nothing like Saturday morning cartoons back when, when I was young. You guys remember that Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show? It doesn't, yeah, can you give it over Bugs Bunny? Ain't no cartoons like that today, okay? The Care Bears just don't cut it. 
But I found out I was really good in the military. And the reason why is because the discipline part, my dad, before I could go out on Saturday morning, I stood full-blown inspection in my room. My hangers were two fingers apart. My bootlace were tucked. My bed was squared and cornered. And I had to stand inspection. So when I got to basic train, I was like, like, what is this? This is a joke. Are you kidding me? So I became honor grad. Next thing you know, I'm distinguished honor grad. I'm waiting for dad to show up for my graduation after advanced training. No dad. I did everything in the military when I first started off to please my dad. I was trying to get his affection. I was trying to make him proud of me. I was doing everything in my power to get him to recognize me and say, man, I'm proud of you, son. I wanted to hear the words how proud he was of me. And I figure if I do the one thing he was doing really well, I figure that would really get him. So I started doing really good. And in fact, you know, I started going to all these schools. You know, I went off to jump school and I started jumping out of airplanes. Then you go off to air assault school. I went to sniper school, put Pathfinder badges on. You know, I did every school. I went to SEER school. I went to every kind of training there was. Distinguished honor grad, honor grad. I said, there's no way he cannot recognize me now. And dad was never there. Not a word from him. And I got so caught up in my military career I got so caught up in it that those badges, those Velcro tabs and those Velcro badges and stuff that were on my uniform became my identity. It became all I was wrapped up to be. My combat patches and everything else, everything, my uniform was a walking ego is what it was. You go outside of a military base, nobody even cares about those things. After you get retired and you tell me any vets, you go out and wear a uniform and put on your badges, nobody cares. Those things don't mean anything. In fact, my uniforms are hanging in the back of the closet somewhere, haven't been touched for 15 years. They don't mean anything today. But in the moment, that was my identity right there. That's who I was. And everything that was going on in my life at that moment, anything and everything that bad would happen, it would be automatically who? My dad's fault. If I didn't get my way, if things didn't go my way, or if things weren't working out, it was my dad's fault. If he'd have just loved me a little bit more, if he'd have showed me just a little bit more of attention, if he'd have just done this, if he'd have just done that, I wouldn't be in the situation or the place that I'm at right now. And my military career became everything I was. I married my wife right in the middle of all of that. She stood by me. And you know what the the bad part is? I became the person my dad said I would become. The very person I hated with all of the, all the fibers in my body, I was becoming that person. I was starting to neglect the family. I was starting to become very self-centered. I didn't care about anything else but getting that next tab or the next promotion. I didn't care what it cost me in my marriage. I didn't care what it cost me in the relationship with my own daughter. I didn't care what it cost me in friends or anything else. My whole existence was about making my father happy. And my family paid that price. My ego got in the way of my relationship with my family and with the one person I should have been in a relationship with the whole time. 
So let's fast forward. I'm going to share a little bit of story. Just I'm going to share a, t- a part of my testimony that is really uh, it's hard for me to talk about, and I try to stay not emotional about it. But um, one of the things I did while I was in the military is I was also a EMT, if you would, so for civilian language. I was an EMT aboard a a Black Hawk helicopter. And one night, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, we got a call in, and there was one of our convoys that had got attacked in Balad, Iraq. And being the helicopter unit that we were, we turned tail and we headed out in that direction under night vision goggles, and we got about two miles out from inside this, this, this convoy that had been attacked, And when we got there, all you could see was just everything was glowing. There were bullets and everything flying from left to right. Things were burning. On the headset, you could hear all the screaming and and yelling for help. And so we're on our way. So we get there and we get about a half a click out from the the convoy site and, and we sat down. And under, under fire, we head out. Now, my first instinct doing what I did as a medic at that time was to what? It was to help the first people I could find. And I remember running a beeline to a vehicle, and there was a Humvee that was just sitting about 50 yards away from me at that point, and that Humvee was on fire. And I remember coming up to the side of it, and just as I got there, just about 10 feet from that Humvee, I heard a yell and a scream that was very familiar to me. It wasn't one of those things. I mean, moms in here, have you ever lost your kid in Walmart or something or in Meijer? And then you'll hear them screaming six aisles over and you're like, that's mine, right? For me, I heard a voice that was very familiar and I knew it. And as I came around the side of the Humvee and came up to the passenger door, there sat in the passenger seat was one of my best friends, Tommy. Now an IED, they had actually rolled right over an IED and the IED exploded right at the Humvee. Now, it would, the heat was so intense that it had melted the seatbelt right into Tommy's uniform. Tommy had lost half of his leg, right leg, and he lost most of his left arm. Tommy had a hole in the side of, size of his, in his chest about the size of my fist. And the only thing I could hear coming out of that Humvee was, Sarge, make the pain stop, make it stop. It hurts so bad. It hurts. It hurts. Make it stop. Make it stop. And I remember looking at Tommy's eyes, and I remember cutting him out of his seatbelt, and I remember scooping him up, blood and all. And I remember carrying him over to the Black Hawk helicopter and laying him on the floor of the aircraft. And I remember Tommy was bleeding all over the place. And I'm yelling at the medics, and the medics are yelling at me, and I'm telling them to give him morphine. And all Tommy can do is yell and scream. He's saying, stop, make the pain stop. Just make it stop. Sarge, make the pain stop. It hurts so bad. I'm yelling at the medics, give him morphine. They're like, he's lost too much blood. We can't give him any morphine because he'll go into shock. We've got to keep him awake. He's got to stay up. I'm like, you got to do something for this guy. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of that one problem, in the midst of all of this that's going on in my life, I decide at that moment to have a conversation with the good Lord. Now, it wasn't a conversation like you probably would think because my conversation with him is like, Lord, if you're so big, if you're so bad, if you're so awesome, if you're so sovereign, if you've got it all together, if nothing is outside of your grasp, let Tommy live. How many of you sitting here today have been in that conversation with God over something? I'm pleading with the Lord. I'm like, God, if you're there, if you're really there, if you're this God that you say that you are, if you are truly all that you, that you say you, you can do, and then, Father God, just switch places with me. I'll take Tommy's place right now. Tommy was 18 years old. He was due to be married soon, and he had a kid on the way. Hey, just switch places with me. I'll trade places with Tommy right now. If you're there, if you're truly there, if you're almighty, if you're all good right now, do this for me. 
we were about four miles out from the med station. And I remember Tommy squeezing my hand really tight. And I had him kind of in my lap. And I remember looking up at me. And I remember taking him just a deep, one deep breath. And Tommy died right there in my arms. And I remember being so angry. I grabbed Tommy and pulled him up against my chest. I leaned up against the console. I was crying. I was like a little kid. I mean, I just lost it. I'm so mad. I'm angry. I'm having a conversation with God again. I'm like, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't need you. I don't know who you are. And it's kind of interesting that you're having a conversation with somebody that doesn't really exist, right? But I'm still having it. And I'm like, you're supposed to be the good God. You're supposed to be one who can help me. You're supposed to be the one that's supposed to be there. Where are you at? Where were you at when I needed you? And I was angry. I'm not going to lie. And here's the thing, right in the middle of all of that, inside the back of my head, if my dad would have just loved me a little bit more, if my dad would have just showed me a little bit more encouragement, if my earthly father would have just said he loved me just once, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I wouldn't be in the situation that I am. I remember the aircraft landed and the Navy medics came on board and the Navy, uh, the Navy uh, corpsman and the Navy doctor came on and they checked Tommy's pulse and they pronounced him dead. And then I remember them pulling that green body bag in on the aircraft. And I remember them taking and scooping Tommy up and placing him in that green bag. And I remember sitting there watching as they zipped that zipper up. And that, that sound of that zipper today, still today, when my, even when my kids zip up their jackets, it automatically takes me back to that moment. As slowly as I watch Tommy's face slowly disappear in the dark realm of that green body bag. And just before they finished zipping it up, I reached in and I grabbed a hold of one of of Tommy's dog tags. Now, a dog tag is something special to a military service member. We got to have it wherever we go, right? I mean, no doubt. You You can't be found without it. And it's got some information that's kind of important on it. The first one's your name. It's got your name. It's got your rank. It's got your social security number. It's even got your blood type. And then right at the bottom of that dog tag, right at the very bottom, it says religious preference. And I remember sitting over and I got out of the aircraft and I went and found a spot and I just sat there and I, was, I had my head between my knees and I had my hands and I had his dog tag. I had a hold of my dog tags. I'm squeezing them really tight. I'm just over it. At this point, I just didn't even want to live anymore. And I remember pulling my nine millimeter out of my holster and I'm just like, I just want it to be over. I just want it to be done. I'm finished. I'm through. I can't do this anymore. If my dad would have just loved me a little bit more, if he would have just encouraged me just a little bit more, I wouldn't be in this situation. Dad, this is all your fault. And I remember sitting there, and I remember looking at Tommy's dog tag, and I remember looking at mine. And in that spot where it said religious preference, Tommy's said Christian. And when I looked at mine, mine said none. And for the first time in my my adult life, and the first time in all that I've been alive, for the first time the light bulb went on. God, it smacked me in the head right there and says, it's not about your earthly father. It's about the relationship you don't have with your heavenly father. This has nothing to do with your earthly father. This has everything to do with the fact that you don't have a relationship with my son, Jesus Christ. And for the first time, all the, all the guys that had come into my life in the unit that carried around their Bibles and wanted me to go to Bible study and do all these different things, for the first time, that made sense to me. Those guys weren't there by accident. 
They were speaking and sowing seeds into my life so that at that very moment, in that very time, in that place in Iraq, in the middle of a dust bowl, in the middle of the worst moment of my life, it made sense. It all came together. It clicked. And when anybody's had that moment, it's like somebody hitting you with a baseball bat. And you feel so dumb, too. It's like, how did I not miss that? I mean, how, what did I, I find myself to be a pretty intelligent dude. How did I miss that? This whole time, it had nothing to do with how much of my love or how much encouragement or how much admiration my father could give me. It was simply about a relationship I did not have with my heavenly father above. So that moment was a very pivotal part of my walk in life. I mean, it changed everything. I, I mean, it was like it had literally opened my brain up to a, a place I had never known before. And a week later, with a Navy SEAL chaplain, I spent six hours on my knees, and in the middle of the desert, I gave my life to Christ fully. Now they say, you got to give your life to Jesus. you gotta give your, you got to have him in your heart. I don't know what that's all about, having him in your heart. I don't know what that means. But I needed Jesus in my life. And I needed him to be the most important thing there was in my life. Because out of that flows the relationships with everybody else and everything else. Because when that is firm and when that's set and when that is stable, every other relationship you have is going to be grounded and, and routed through that relationship. Now see, like, like most people thought, like I know I thought it, as soon as I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life, life's going to be good. It's going to be gummy bears and rainbows the rest of the way, right? Isn't that true? You guys all know that, right? Here we go. Bring on the blessings, right? Shower me with gummy bears. Here's the truth. For some reason, life got a little bit harder. It got more difficult, I would go on to bury 30 more of my brothers. I would go to more memorial services than some pastors have been to funerals. I would have to say goodbye to one of my other best friends, family friends. It wasn't until a few years later that I'd find out I would come up with cancer and have to deal with that. What are you doing? I'm doing everything you told me to do. I went to seminary. I moved, I got out of the military, I'm walking right, what are you doing? None of you guys feel that way though, right? What are you doing, Lord? I've accepted you into my life, I'm doing the things that you want me to do, what are you doing? You're supposed to be showering me with gummy bears, and you're giving me thorns. What the heck's going on? Have a bad parachute jump, I've got titanium knees. Because guess what, the body, body bounces when the parachute doesn't open properly. So at 55 miles an hour, it's a nice three, three drop pop there. I got titanium knees now. I'd like to say that at 34, I'm the probably youngest knee replacement recipient there is. I'm not sure if that's a good title to have, but it is kind of cool. But I got titanium knees. He put me through that. What are you doing, Lord? Just two weeks ago, I didn't even think I'd be standing here. They took a, a tumor out of my neck about that big, and I had to wait a week to see if it was going to be cancer. And anybody and everybody in here that has been through that knows what I'm talking about. That was a long week, and I wasn't quite sure where we'd be at today if the answer had been different. 
Let me tell you, when you accept Jesus Christ in your life, when you take him on as your Lord and Savior, when you make him the pinnacle and the rock of everything that you are in your entire being, life doesn't get easier. In fact, it gets a little bit more difficult. It says in James 1.1, find it pure joy, my brothers, when you suffer. It doesn't say if you suffer, it says when you suffer. You're going to have it. You're going to lose somebody in your family. You're going to have a hard time. Somebody in your family that's close to you is going to pass away. Somebody's going to get sick. You're going to have to deal with things in your life. But here's the difference. When you've got Jesus Christ in your life, it's how we deal with those things and handle those things that makes the difference. It's not by my strength, it's by his. It's not by his righteousness, it's by mine. Or not by mine, but his. It's, it's not by my grace, it's by his. It's not by my healing power, it's by his. And that is my hope. And every day I can get up and go, God, I'm not in charge today, have your way. And when I can say that, and I can say that with all assurance to know that everything's going to be okay regardless. Listen, the world is upside down right now. I mean, we've got an election that's coming up. We're not sure which way's up, which way's down. But let me tell you what, regardless of how that election turns out, Jesus Christ is still king. I don't care who you vote for. We're going to have one president, but there's only one king. And that president's got to answer to that king. And he trumps. And that's all there. I get that, right? You guys didn't even laugh. <laughs> Took you a second. But our king, he reigns over all. I don't care who's sitting in the White House. And if you can have that and you can hold on to that assurance and you can have that assurance even today, no matter what happens in our government, whatever happens here, that God's still in control, how much more could he do in your very lives? You don't think he can handle cancer? You don't think he could see you through the loss of a family member? You don't, you don't think that he could see you through um, your struggle with pornography? You don't think he can see you through your self-image issues or your self-worth issues or your daddy issues? Because, I mean, let's be real for a second. With an audience this big, there's somebody in here dealing with pornography. Period. And that's a devil. Somebody's dealing with it. There's somebody in here in an adulterous relationship. Guaranteed. I know there's at least one person in here today that is struggling with self-image. I know there's somebody in here that has self-worth problems. My question to you is, how are you going to deal with it? Because you can't do it on your own. If you try, you will fail. I promise you. If there's anything I can promise you on, you will fail because I have tried. I didn't get this from reading a book in seminary. I haven't been all over the world speaking or anything. I'm telling you from my life experience, you cannot do it. You, not, you cannot do it outside of his strength and his grace and his righteousness. You have to have that. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not trying to scare you, but hey, tomorrow may not come. We may have this election and Jesus might, oh, praise Jesus if he shows up tomorrow. Right? I mean, seriously. We're getting all worked up over all this stuff and Christ might show up tomorrow and be like, election's over, guys. I mean, think about that for a second. We're going to put our hope in that or we're going to put our hope in Jesus Christ. Are you going to have him in your life to help you through the struggles and the problems that you got going in your life? Or are you going to try to do it on your own? Are you going to wait for your mom and your dad and everybody else to do it for you? It ain't going to happen. Yes, Jesus puts people in our lives like our parents, our friends, our church, our pastors. He puts them in place so that he can use them to work in our lives. But it is only through his grace. It is only through his power. And it's only through his righteousness that can happen. Not by anything that we do or anything. That grace is so richly given to us freely. But you know what? It costs us everything. You hear what I say? Grace is a free gift given to us by Jesus Christ. But it costs us everything. And you know why? Because we have to give up ourselves. We have to humble ourselves and we have to completely give up ourselves to Christ. It will cost you everything. 
When he asked the rich young ruler, he says, hey, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, he says, what do I do to have this, this, this eternal life, to be born again? And Jesus says, what? He says, come follow me. Come follow me. Now the rich guy was upset. Why? Because he had so much stuff. No, it's because, you know what? He couldn't, it was, it was about him. He couldn't give himself up. He couldn't give up who he was. He had to give not just his stuff up. He had to give his heart. He had to give his soul. He had to give his strength. He had to give everything he was to him. And just like you, I struggle with that too. And I need his help and I need his strength. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you're going through in life right now, I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care how big the problem is. We got a God who's bigger. We got a God who's better. We got a God that can see you through all things that you can come up with. I don't care what you come up with. You can put a couple things together and come up with something new. He's going to be bigger than that. My question is, is where are you? If today was your day, Jesus Christ did show up tomorrow just before the election, and he stood before you and says, it's time. It's time. What would your dog tag say? Because he's only going to ask us one question. He's only going to ask us one question. Do you know my son? And does my son know you? What's your dog tag going to say? Are you ready for that day? Man, I pray for that day. I can't wait till he comes back. How glorious is that going to be? I like to ask my students in youth group, how many of you want to go to heaven? And they all raise their hand. And then I ask them, how many want to go right now? And they kind of look at me with that crazy look. Is Pastor E going to shoot everybody or what? <laughs> but if today was today, if today was today, could you look at your dog tag and see Tommy, and Tommy's dog tag? Would it say I'm a Christian? And I'm not talking about a Christian. We've got enough Christians in this world today. Do you know why I have a pastor? Right, Pastor Bernie? We've got enough Christians today. We need some Christ followers. We need people going to follow him. We've got a whole bunch of people talking about I'm a Christian, but we need some Christ followers. We need, we need people that are going to do, not just sit around and be. So what are you? If he called you home today, if today was your day, would you be able to answer that question? Would you hear those words? Would you be able to hear Jesus say, you are my child. I know who you are. All of your stuff is forgiven. I stand in place of this person standing here. Would you hear those words? I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. Just bow your heads. I just want you to get alone with God. Just get real for a second with yourself. This ain't about your spouse next to you. Your spouse isn't going to get you to heaven. It ain't about your kids or anybody else that's sitting next to you. They're not going to get you to heaven. I'm going to, hear you. I'm going to tell you that right now. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. And I just want you to just get along with yourself for a second. I just want you to ask yourself, be real with yourself. God already knows. But just be vulnerable for a second and just say, just right now, if, the, if, to, if today was the day, if Jesus was standing right here and he was, it was time to call his children home, would you be able to say that I'm counted? Would you be able to hear those words that you're my child? Would you know that you would have everlasting life, that this place that we live in right now is not our home, but just a stopping place, that Jesus has so much more for us. He doesn't just want joy for our lives. He, want, he wants joy for us abundantly. 
He has a place for us that he's going to put us in that's going to be beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's going to be so glorious. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be counted? If you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't have him in your life right now and you don't have a personal relationship for him, in just a couple seconds, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And this isn't about the people around you or the church or anything else. This is between you and God. I'm going to allow you just a second just to make a commitment to him, to say, yes, I want to live for you. I want to be counted. I want to be recognized on that day. And then if you're out here and you are a Christ follower and you're not living right and you've been away from the church, you've been away from, from, from God's word, if you've been away from prayer, if you've been away from that calling on your heart of the Holy Spirit and you haven't been doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, and you're not walking a straight line, and you're not walking the way you should, in just a second, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make a commitment too, to say, yes, Jesus, I have been, I've been away from you. I have been astray, but I wanna come back. I wanna walk right. I want to be able to say that I am counted on that day, and there's no doubt about it in my life. So just on the count of three, this is not about something between anybody. This is you and God. Just on the count of three. If that's you if, you, if you want to accept Jesus Christ in your life right now and make him the pivotal part, the foundation of everything that you have going on in your life, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. But if you're a Christ follower and you know you're not living right and you're not doing the things that you should be doing, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand as well and say, Jesus, I, I want to be back. I want to come back into that. I want to be counted. If that's you, on the count of three, just slip your hand up. One, two, three. Just raise your hand. It's okay. Make a bold statement. Raise your hand and say, here I am. Here I am right now. Jesus, we love you. Jesus. I'm going to ask those individuals to make even a bolder statement. If you are out in this crowd right now, if you made a decision, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Be bold. Just come forward. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. You are in the midst of family. I mean, we are children of God and we are here for you. Come forward. Make a bold statement. Say, I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to live my life right. Jesus says, if we'll believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, we will have eternal life. It's never too late. If this is you, please come forward. Make a bold statement. Don't wait. Do not wait. Now is the time. Today is the day. Know that you're counted. We need Christ followers today, not Christians. Thank you, Jesus. One of my favorite passages that has guided my life in the midst of everything that was going on, I told myself, that the only way I could come to the Father 
was if I got my life together first. He told me I, I felt inside, I felt inside that I needed to get my stuff together. I need to make myself right before I could come to him. I felt like I was living a life that was a lie. I felt things weren't going well. I wasn't a good person. And I felt like I had to get my stuff together before I could approach his throne. And Romans 5.8 says this. He says, although you've got a problem with pornography, although you've got a marriage problem, although you've got self-image problems, although you're dealing with this and that and pride and gossip and everything else, Jesus says, although you've got all that stuff going on in your life and you're a broken sinner, he says, I still love you. And he loves you and he loves all of you up here. We're gonna pray for you, Pastor Bernie's gonna come up and he's gonna pray. He's gonna lead you in a prayer. Know that God loves you guys so deeply. The decision you made here today in front of all these people is a bold statement. We need people like you who are gonna say, I'm gonna be a Christ follower. I'm gonna be counted. I don't care what's going on in the world. He's my savior, my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Let's join together. Pray with me as I pray this and pray it, with, pray it from your heart. And those standing with us, pray with us. We're going to just pray a simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you for Jesus, your son. That he came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for me. And he rose from the dead. And he's seated at your right hand. Father, I thank you that you love me. And I receive your forgiveness. I declare Jesus as my Lord. From this day forward, I won't live to please myself. I will live to please you. Thank you that you love me that you have a great plan for my life. Thank you that you're my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.